Welcome to church. You're glad to be here. Come on, Betsy, make some noise. So great to be here. Thank you online for joining us as well. And I know you may be traveling, but if you're in town, if you're local, if you're driving distance from us, we'd love to see you. We'd love to be together even through the summer months and to just worship Jesus together. It was Dr. John H. Gardner in 1901 who coined the phrase New Yorkitis. New Yorkitis. He saw how busy people in Manhattan were, and so he coined a disease that would describe busy people in Manhattan. He was a surgeon and a physician, so he came up with a disease called New Yorkitis. And here are some of the symptoms of this disease called New Yorkitis. Haste, rudeness, restlessness, arrogance, contemptuousness, excitability, anxiety, pursuit of novelty and of grandeur, and pretensions of omniscience, pretensions of omniscience. I'm sure none of these words describe any of you in the room or online, but maybe you've met some people with these symptoms, even in Texas, because it seems like this Manhattan disease from New York has infiltrated the whole world. The frenetic pace at which we live our lives can be described with several of these words up here. In fact, what happens when we live at such a busy life is that the rhythms of our soul are forfeited. And just like there are healthy rhythms for our body, for music that we just heard, we forget that there are healthy rhythms for our soul. And what gets pushed out often is our life with God, our daily life with God. So last week, we began this new series called Rhythms of Grace. Rhythms of Grace. It's living according to God's divine tempo for life. We said there are spiritual rhythms, or some call it spiritual disciplines. They're just normal habits and patterns that help us connect and grow with God. Patterns in our life, space, margin in our day-to-day life that help us to connect and grow with God. We need them. You need them. I need them. And spiritual rhythms are not masters. They are our servants. They are here to serve us in our walk with Jesus, to deepen our intimacy, to open, as we sing, the eyes of our heart to the reality of how amazing and near the Lord Jesus is to us every single day. Last week, we looked at the life of Jesus. We saw that Jesus had a lot to do, but he was never really too busy. He lived an unhurried life. He lived an interruptible life. In fact, Jesus lived a centered life. He knew who he was. He lived a deeply centered life. Don't you want to live like that? Don't you want to live life so centered that it's unshaken in all of the changes of the world? Well, thankfully, Jesus modeled for us how he lived that way. Jesus models certain rhythms of his life that we too can embody, that he opens up these unforced rhythms of grace. He invites us to yoke up with him and live as he lived. So over the next few weeks, we're just picking a few of the rhythms in the life of Jesus so that we can be students, we can be apprenticed by Jesus in the rhythms of grace. Today, I want to begin with the rhythm of prayer the rhythm of prayer, looking broadly at the prayer life of Jesus. Jesus had a rhythm of prayer. What was that like? Have you ever asked this question, why did Jesus pray? Why did Jesus pray? Like you and I, if we're to be really honest, we often pray in times of need. When we need something from God, we go to God in prayer. 
Or we may pray to confess sins and to seek forgiveness. We may pray when we're not sure about a certain situation and we need guidance, we need clarity. So we go to God in prayer. We may pray to to feel closer to God, to feel intimacy with God. Well, Jesus was God. He never sinned, so there was no sins to confess. I have a feeling Jesus knew everything. There was not much that were unknown to him. So why would Jesus himself need to pray? I think there are a few reasons. And first of all, I think Jesus prayed because Jesus simply enjoyed being with his father alone. Jesus prayed because he enjoyed being with his father alone. He enjoyed merely intimacy with the father. Today, this Sunday, is the Sunday after Pentecost Sunday. And on church calendar today is called Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday. It's a day that celebrates the unity of the Trinity between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you think about it, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have eternally been united. They have always been communicating in deep abiding fellowship. But I imagine when Jesus was sent from heaven to be incarnate, to be one of us, he took on flesh and came to live on earth. If there were ever a moment where the Trinity felt a little distance, it might have been then, just perhaps. It might have been then, because Jesus is now on the earth. They were still one, they were still united, but if there were ever a moment to sense a bit of separation, it might have been then. But I think about how Luke records it in chapter 3, where Jesus is baptized, and then as he was praying, Luke says, as Jesus was praying immediately after his baptism, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And then the words of the Father were heard for all. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There you see the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Spirit all together. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus would often withdraw. Why? To be with his Father. Perhaps to hear those words of intimacy over and over again. Just to be with his heavenly Father, he would pull away to enjoy intimacy with the Father. The Father knew the Son, and the Son knew the Father better than anybody in the world. In fact, the world didn't recognize Jesus. Even his followers had a hard time sometimes understanding Jesus. But Jesus, when he was with the Father, before Jesus even spoke, he was understood. He was fully known by the Father. The Son was fully known by the Father, and the Father fully known by the Son. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27, No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and whomever the Son reveals the Father to. All words of deep, abiding intimacy. The Father fully knows the Son and the Son fully knows the Father. Jesus prayed because he enjoyed intimacy with his Father. I think for you and I, as we think about rhythms of prayer, That is why we pray, because we actually enjoy being with God. We enjoy this intimacy with our Heavenly Father. See, the foundation of our prayer is not our petitions and it's not our demands. The foundation of prayer is friendship with God. It's communion with God. It is being with God Almighty. Last week we said the spiritual rhythms don't save us, only Jesus saves us. We are saved by grace through faith. And the moment you are saved, as Jesus is to the Father, so are you to the Father. 
Which means the moment you place your faith in Christ, the triune God opens its up, up to you and you are now included in the eternal intimacy of the Godhead. You are one with him. You're brought into the conversation of heaven and your voice, your heart, my heart. We join in this eternal communication, this communion, this oneness with God. The heart of prayer and the heart of every spiritual discipline, it's not spiritual doing, it's simply spiritual being. It's being, it's enjoying, it's fellowship with Almighty God. The heart of prayer Enjoying God, friendship, intimacy with the Father. The second reason I think Jesus prayed is because in his humanity, Jesus was dependent on the Father and the Spirit. Jesus prayed because in his humanity, he was dependent on the Father and the Spirit. Jesus fully God and fully man. And in his full humanity, he was discouraged. He was frustrated, sometimes even angry. He was sorrowful. He grieved. So every day he would surrender, yield his humanity to the Father and the Spirit. When Jesus began his public ministry, what did he do? He went 40 days to the desert to fast and pray. He often withdrew to pray with the Father. When he is grieving at the death of his cousin John, he pulled away to pray, to be dependent on the Father as his ministry is turning up and notoriety is happening and people are getting to know who Jesus is, he would often withdraw simply to pray. When he took his disciples to the Mount of Transfiguration where he revealed his true identity, he got away just to pray. When things got hard and he looked forward to the cross and the agony of the cross, and yet so many, Jesus is praying, surrendering his humanity to the Father. It was hard, but he prayed and submitted every single day. Jesus, knowing full well his humanity, yielded his life, his human self, to the Father. He lived dependent. I've already said that prayerlessness may be the highest form of practical atheism. Prayerlessness may be the highest form of practical atheism. Yes, we believe it intellectually. We believe in God. But do we live like it? Do we pray like it? Because in a sense, to choose not to pray is saying, God, I've got this. I don't really need you. I've got my life. I've got my family. I've got my world together. I got it. But if Jesus himself lived dependent on the Father, how much more are we brought to desperation on our knees? to pray, to fast, seeking God, dependent on him. Jesus prayed because he enjoyed intimacy with the Father. He prayed because in his humanity, he was dependent. And lastly, he prayed because in his prayer life, he was inviting his followers into a life of prayer. He was inviting you and I into this life of intimacy and prayer with the Father. Jesus often played, prayed publicly. And in Luke 11, verse 1, when he is done praying in a certain place, Luke records, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. Teach us to pray. We want to pray like you. It's fascinating that in all the ministry of Jesus, the only thing that the disciples directly requested of Jesus was to teach them how to pray. Jesus preached phenomenal sermons. But they didn't ask how to preach better sermons. They asked how to pray. 
Jesus did incredible, powerful miracles, but they didn't ask for 10 steps to how to perform a miracle. They simply said, teach us to pray. I'm not so sure that if someone shadowed me for a week or a month, at the end of that time, all they would want to know from me is, Libin, how do you pray? But I long to live a life. I long for our church to live a life where what sets us apart is our intimacy with Christ in prayer. It's our aloneness, our oneness with Jesus in prayer. Wow, what a beautiful difference that would be if we were known. Those ventriers, they're praying, church. Teach us how to pray. The disciples saw that in what Jesus did, in how he taught, it was all about how he prayed. He taught what he did. He did what he did because of how he prayed. So teach us. And of course, that's when Jesus opens up the Lord's Prayer and he taught them how to pray. We have the Lord's Prayer. And if you know this, would you say this with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Prayer that Jesus taught. Jesus prayed because he enjoyed intimacy. He prayed because he was dependent in his humanity. He prayed to invite us into this life of prayer. So what are the rhythms of the life of Jesus in prayer? What are the rhythms of the prayer life of Jesus. How did he pray? Now, when you look to the four Gospels, Jesus prayed often. He prayed in many different forms. And it's fascinating that these four Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as they are writing the autobiography of Jesus' life from their own angle, each and every one of them, though they had a lot to cover, they were absolutely enamored by the rhythms of prayer in Jesus' life. As they looked at his ministry and his life, they couldn't get away from the fact that Jesus was a praying Jesus. He was a praying Savior. Mark, the gospel writer, he writes a gospel full of action. Mark just wants to go from one miracle to the next. You'll find the word immediately about 30 39 times in the gospel of Mark. He wants to get a picture of all the actions of Jesus. But even Mark, this action-oriented gospel writer, he can't help but write about the many times that Jesus is in solitude, that Jesus is praying. He's observing the prayers of Jesus in solitude all by himself. Luke writes his gospel, and many call the gospel of Luke the gospel of prayer. Because we find more instances of Jesus praying in Luke than any other gospel. Matthew writes the longest section about how Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6. John writes and records the longest prayer of Jesus in John 17, the high priestly prayer. Each of these individuals, as different as their gospels were, they all included the rhythms of the prayers of Jesus because it was replete in the life of Jesus. Jesus didn't just have a prayer life. He lived a life of prayer, deeply immersed in praying to God. We're going to go through just a few scriptures looking at the rhythms of the life of Jesus in prayer. So hang with me. We're going to look at quite a few scriptures just to get a broad scope of the prayers of Jesus. First of all, when we look at the Gospels, Jesus prayed in solitude. He often prayed in solitude. 
This meant he got away. He pulled away from everybody, anybody, from even disciples, friends, and crowd just to pray, just to be alone with the Father in solitude. In Mark 1, Jesus had a very busy day. He is healing the sick, casting out demons. He is exhausted after a day full of ministry. And how does he refuel? Not with a latte like I would have chosen. What does Jesus do to retreat and to refuel? He pulls away just to pray. Mark 1.35 records this very early in the morning. This is after a whole day and a whole night of ministry. While it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. All alone, Jesus praying. In Luke 6, right before Jesus chose the 12 disciples, notice what Jesus is doing all night long. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. Now, I'm curious, did Jesus know already who he was going to pick? Maybe, but why did he pray all night? Maybe he's thinking, really, Father, this is all the people you want me to, this is it right here? I don't know, maybe he was, he was going back and forth with the Father, but nevertheless, here he is before a big moment in his life in solitude with the Father in prayer. Mark 6 records the feeding of the 5,000. This monumental miracle in the life of Jesus. This is where you go on a book tour. This is when the crowds begin to believe Jesus is the long-awaited prophet, the Messiah. Here is it. Notice what Jesus does after this incredible miracle in Mark 6. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, he got everybody out of there. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone in the land. Matthew records the same thing after the same miracle of feeding the 5,000. Matthew says the same thing. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Jesus often found solitude by the mountainside to pray. I think I would pray more if I lived in Colorado by a mountain. Maybe that's just what <laughs> motivated Jesus to pray. John, when he writes the same thing by the same event, he gives us a clue into why Jesus prayed all night after the feeding of the 5,000. Notice John chapter 6, verse 15. Here's why Jesus felt an urge to pray immediately after this incredible miracle. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. See, Jesus didn't just find solitude and prayer when things were bad and people were about to get him and he was sad or grieving. No, no, no. Even when things were good, and people were celebrating him. They wanted to make him king. Jesus says, I got to withdraw. I got to pull away. We often pray when we need something, when things are dark. But Jesus here in the height of his ministry is pulling away. In fact, that may be when we need to find solitude even more. When people, quote, unquote, want to make you king, when things are good and everyone's celebrating, it's actually a beautiful invitation to solitude and prayer. So far, we have seen that Jesus got up early before dawn to pray. We have seen that Jesus stayed up late into the night until dawn to pray. He began and ended his day with communion with the Father in prayer. 
And I love how Luke 6 gives us another glimpse. I'm sorry, Luke 5 gives us another glimpse of the rhythm of Jesus in prayer. Luke 5 says it like this in the NASB. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Jesus often would slip away. I love that word because it's speaking of the daytime, during the busyness of his day when crowds are waiting for him. What would Jesus do? He would slip away. Not because he wasn't needed, but because he just wanted a few moments of solitude with the Father. He would slip away. I imagine stealth mode. People didn't know, where did he go? And there Jesus found a cleft in the wilderness and just slipped away with the Father. What would it look like if we were this kind of a people? Monday through Saturday, even on Sunday, you found moments to just slip away to slip away in prayer, to be one with the Lord in solitude and prayer. Perhaps you beat the traffic and you got to your office early, a few minutes early. Oh, we would slip away in prayer. Between busy meetings, you got just a few minutes, maybe five minutes. What if we just slipped away to prayer? Perhaps you're waiting for a doctor and it's taking a little too long. Instead of getting frustrated, what if you just slipped away? Perhaps you're the doctor waiting for the next patient. Just a few minutes between people, oh, just to slip away in prayer. Maybe your teacher between classes, what if we just slipped away in prayer? You had a hard day, things are frustrating, and there's a lot of things you can rationalize, but what if we hit pause? So I gotta slip away for just a few minutes. Perhaps it's a long day, and your kids are finally in bed early because they're exhausted. Thank goodness they went to sleep early. Now you've got the gift of a few extra minutes at night. What if we slipped away in prayer? I don't know if your Apple Watch does this, but mine is starting to give me an alert for mindfulness. God's using even Apple Watches to remind us to slip away for a few minutes and fix our heart and our soul on our Heavenly Father. This week I was at my haircut place getting a haircut and I always check in online and so I can arrive just in time. Well, I still had an extra 10 minutes to wait. You know what my natural immediate propensity was to reach for my? My phone. You're guilty just as I am, aren't we? <laughs> I would love to tell you I was going to scroll through the YouVersion app and read a Bible story. No, no, no. I wanted to scroll on Instagram and check social media. The Holy Spirit sort of whispered into my heart and said, Levin, what if your heart was conditioned in the gift of those few extra minutes not to slip away in a social media or a news outlet, but to slip away with me in prayer? solitude and reflection. See, if we see prayer not as a discipline, but as a delight, as communicating with the Father, as intimate fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, joining in the conversation of heaven, what if you found five minutes in the busyness of your day to slip away in prayer on your drive? Between something, just slip away. Let me tell you, that would be far more satisfying than social media, far more informative than the news calming to your soul. Find a few minutes this week to slip away in prayer. Writer and theologian Thomas Morton spoke of solitude like this. He said, solitude is to be preserved not as a luxury, but as a necessity. Not for perfection so much as for simple survival in the life God has given you. It's a basic necessity. It was for Jesus. Life with the Father. 
slipping away in solitude, whether early morning, at night, sometime, pulling away to reconnect your heart to the Father. I love how Pastor Rich Abilitas from the New Jersey area, he said it like this. He said, when you slip away from the world in solitude and prayer, you're not leaving the world for good. No, you're just slipping away for a few minutes from the chaos of the world so that you can re-enter it through a different door. Slipping away to re-enter through a different world. Notice how he said it. For a disciple, to leave the world is to re-enter back into it from another door. The door of God's love and acceptance. The door of God's way of being. You slip away from one door, you come in through the other. Not of man's acceptance, not of people's affirmations, not of undue pressure and false identities and illegitimate sources of significance. No, no, no. When you've been with the Lord, you come through a different door. Reminded of how much he loves you, how much he already approves of you, how much he is for you, empowered by his spirit, you come in through a different door, slipping away with the Lord in prayer. Singles, I love our singles in our church. You have a unique opportunity to teach us married folks about life in prayer and solitude. Jesus, as a single person, experienced prayer and solitude in a deep, profound way, his entire identity, his significance all found through an aloneness with God, who he was, his affirmation for self-worth and identity in aloneness with God. May we all learn to cherish our true identity, our worth through times of aloneness with God. Jesus prayed in solitude, but not only that, Jesus prayed with others. He prayed with others. I love the scene in Luke 9, where Jesus goes on a prayer retreat. The Father has revealed to Simon Peter who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. And what does Jesus do with his disciples? After about eight days, Luke 9 says, after this conversation had taken place, he took along Peter, John, and James, went up on the mountain to pray. He prayed with his inner circle, took them on a prayer journey with him. The Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is feeling the anguish of the cross, the pain. That awaits him. What does he do? He invites these same disciples, come and pray. Keep watch with me in Gethsemane. Now they fell asleep. Oh, but Jesus needed his inner circle to pray with him. When Jesus taught us how to pray, notice the pronouns he used. First person plural. Our Father, give us this day Forgive us our sin. Lead us not into temptation. If it was written by a Westerner, it would have been my dad, my father. Give me my daily bread. Forgive me my sins. Lead me. No, no, when Jesus pictured this community, he pictured a community of praying people. He pictured a church who will gather together and pray with one another. There's such strength in praying with people. This was the rhythm in the life of Jesus. One of the rhythms I've just so loved now is on the first Wednesdays of every month, gathering with our church community there in the J building and praying together. I come into Wednesday nights one way and I leave another way. I slip through a different door. Why? Because I'm transformed when we simply get to sit down and pray for one another and with one another. Singles, I hope that you have somebody, a group that you can go to pray with, someone you can constantly go and say, can you pray with me? 
husbands and wives, I want to ask you to commit to a daily discipline of praying with your spouse. It is a spiritual bond you deeply need in marriage to pray with your spouse. You can't stay angry at your spouse too long if you're praying with them. Trust me, I've tried. It's just not possible. God does a deep work in us when we pray with our spouse. As a family, gather your kids. Model for them what it means to pray with people. Our kids will now call us out if we ever go to bed without praying together. Our parents didn't give us a lot of material things when we grew up. So what they gave us was a beautiful rhythm of praying as a family. We had prayer times in the morning and in the evening. And no matter where you were, what you were doing, what your day was like, you had to be at both, okay? Or you had to be at both. And my dad often would start the song. And the rule was by the second verse of the song, you had to be in the living room for family prayer. And otherwise, he'd come looking for you. You didn't want that. So that was the rule. By the second verse, you'd come to the family living room to pray. Now that we're in Dallas, between my siblings and I and our parents, we are a family of 20 people. A lot of kids running around. 20 people. And every Sunday night, my dad usually will call us to his home to lead our entire family in prayer. Every Sunday night. It's been a beautiful rhythm, a weekly rhythm of praying with even our own family. Families, make this a gift for your family. The beauty of praying with one another. Jesus prayed in solitude. He prayed with others. And he prayed for others. He prayed for others. I love the scene in Mark 9 where Jesus prays for children. Now get this, in first century Rome, children weren't even considered human beings until they could talk and walk. Even then, they were overlooked. They were dismissed. And it was legal in Rome for a Roman father to dispose or even kill his child if he chose to. And that would not be illegal. That wouldn't be considered immoral. Often children were thrown away on the streets to fend for themselves or to simply die. That's how the ancient world viewed children, but not Jesus. Jesus called out their inherent value and dignity. And in Mark 9, he receives them. In Matthew 9, he receives them and he prays for the least in society. Look at Matthew 9. How Jesus prayed for children. Then the little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. The disciples were acting more like the Romans rather than Jesus. But Jesus said, leave the little children alone. And don't you try to keep them from coming to me. Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After placing his hands on them, he went on from there. This would have been a shocking scene. A rabbi, a teacher, a miracle working person that crowds are trying to flock to it and be around. He stops to pray for children. Jesus prayed for people. He prayed for Simon Peter. Simon Peter, Satan has asked to swift you like me, but don't worry, I prayed for you. Your faith would not fail. I have prayed for you. He prays for his executioners on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, please forgive them. In his agony, he was thinking about others and praying for people. And in John 17, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays immediately for his disciples. And then he expands his circle and he prays for you. He prays for me. He prays for all of us. John 17, 20. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. How comforting to know that in one of the hardest 
weeks of Jesus' life heading to Calvary, he prayed for you and you and you and every single one of you and us. He prayed for us. It's comforting when a pastor prays for you or when a mentor prays for you, but Jesus himself, he's prayed for you. So in the rhythm of prayer, who do you need to be praying for? Who is hurting around you? Who is overlooked? Who is marginalized? Who has no one praying for them? The model of Jesus, the life of Jesus is pray for someone, pray for a group, pray for an individual, pray for somebody. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5, verse 43. You've heard us said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you might become children of God. Children of your heavenly father. Whoa. Who's betrayed you? Who's wounded you? Who's persecuting you? Who is your enemy? Is there someone that drives you crazy? Jesus said, you want to be like children of your heavenly father? Pray for that person. Pray for that person out of the abundance of love from your heart. Pray for Jesus prayed in solitude. He prayed with people. He prayed for others. Let me keep going. Lastly, he prayed for himself. He prayed for himself. John 12, verse 27 reads like this. Now my soul is troubled. This is Jesus, a heart-throbbing prayer from Jesus himself. My soul is troubled. What should I say, Father? Save me from this hour. If we pray like this, God, I don't even know what to say, but my soul is troubled. It is aching. My heart is heavy. I don't even know what to say, but Father, save me. Jesus prayed for himself. But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The writer of Hebrews, he presents the prayers of Jesus in such a unique way. Notice how the writer of Hebrews describes how Jesus prayed for himself in Hebrews 5, verse 7 onwards. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We think Jesus was always this manly man, macho man. Here he is crying his eyes out with tears, with supplication. So if you're a parent, if you're a friend, crying your eyes out at night for yourself, for somebody, you are walking the prayer life of Jesus, a heart that's troubled, even a feeble prayer, a broken-hearted prayer. Jesus is pleading with the Father. But yet he remained submitted to the will of the Father. He learned obedience. He practiced obedience. He persevered in obedience. In the things he suffered, let that be an encouragement to you. Even Jesus cried out his eyes in prayer. Prayed in solitude, prayed with people, prayed for people, and even bore his soul to the Lord in agonizing prayer. If you're like me, I mean, I've read through this and many more passages in Scripture of Jesus praying. I felt so inadequate. 
so short of the prayer life of Jesus. But here's what the Holy Spirit began to show me. He said, you don't just pray because Jesus prayed. Jesus is not only an example for why we pray or how we pray. He is the very reason for why we pray. He is the very reason, the very power behind why we pray. Is he an example? Yes, but he's far more than an example. In fact, here's what I want to say to you. Don't just pray because Jesus prayed. We don't pray because Jesus prayed. No, we pray because the death and resurrection of Jesus has given us full, unhindered access to Almighty God. This isn't, okay, here's how Jesus prayed. Good luck, go pray like this. No, 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 Jesus is... Not only did I pray for you, I died for you. I rose from the grave for you. And when I did, I opened up the doors of heaven so that you would have unhindered access to God forever. This is why we can pray. So hear me now. This may be a weird way to end a prayer sermon. But catch this. You don't have to pray. But you get to pray. You don't have to pray. But you get to pray. God loves you regardless, but you get to pray. What a privilege to enter the most holy place, his own sanctuary, and speak to God, to listen to him, to lay our hearts down at the altar of God every day, any moment. Prayer is not a sentimental activity. It is not a begrudging discipline. It is not a, in case of emergency, here's a lifeline. No, 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 every time you pray, we are entering the holy place. Freely with confidence. The greatest miracles in prayer are often not the answers to our prayer, but the fact that we can pray. That in itself is a miracle. You get to go to God. You get to pray. You don't have to pray. But oh, you get to. Hebrews 10, the writer says it like this in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by what? The blood of Jesus. Not by your performance. Not by... Your prayer life, not by the great rhythms of your heart. No, 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 by the blood of Jesus. This is a new covenant. The blood of Jesus is your entry by a new and living way open for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God in prayer with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Why? Because our hearts have been sprinkled, cleansed from a guilty conscience. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. You get to pray because Jesus died and through his body you have access. He rose and he secured a forever friendship with God. What a delight, what a privilege, what an honor. You know what's also mind-boggling? The prayer life of Jesus isn't over. Jesus still prays today. And you know who he's praying for? For you. Romans 8 says it like this. Who is the one who condemns Christ? Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. And he also, right now, is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. The prayer life of Jesus isn't over, but he has made you the focal point of his prayer. He intercedes for you. Even if you can't pray, even if you don't pray, Jesus prays for you. In fact, when you do pray, you're just joining an already existing conversation that Jesus is having with the Father about you. 
He's already talking to the Father about you. So when you pray, you're just going into a conversation about you. Don't you love jumping into a conversation when somebody's talking about you? Oh, yeah, we listen for those things. Oh, did you say my name? You're immediately there. 24-7, Jesus is speaking to the Father about you. And so when he invites you to prayer, you're just jumping into an existing conversation between the Father, Son, and the Spirit about you. The Holy Spirit, when we are weak, he utters words too deep for us with groanings inexpressible. We have a friend in prayer. So this week, all I want you to do is either continue or begin a rhythm of prayer. Doesn't matter when. Maybe it's morning, maybe it's night. Maybe it's just five minutes of slipping away. If you find five minutes, slip away sometime. Five minutes of saying, God, I want to be alone. I want to be in silence. I just want to be with you. If you don't have words to say, it's okay. Just listen to how Jesus is praying for you. Let him pray through you. He's always praying for you.